made it now to John chapter 13. Jesus is now getting very close to the end of His life here on this earth. We, are, we have already passed the Palm Sunday that many, some of you would know what that is. So we're in the final week of Jesus' life. And here in John chapter 13, in fact, we are getting to His last supper. The last meal that He ever ate on this earth before He was crucified. Then, of course, we know he, I'm sure He had some meals after He rose again. But this is before He was crucified. This is His last meal with His 12 disciples gathered together. And this was a special time in the Jewish calendar. This was Passover. And this was a celebration that the Jews had recognized for thousands of years, looking back to the time when they were enslaved in Egypt. And God had set them free, and He had done it right after the Passover. You say, why is it called Passover? Well, because on that day, that first day, God had told His people, He said, I want you to make a supper. I want you to prepare a lamb to eat, cook it, and prepare it to eat. And I want you to take the blood from that lamb and I want you to put it on the doorposts and the lintel or the piece that goes over the top of your door. And that was to be a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ that would one, be, one day be shed on behalf of the sins of all the world. And he said, if the blood is on your door, he said, I will pass over you. Hence the name Passover. And so the Jews continued to celebrate this every year, looking back to when God had set them free from slavery. And I don't think all the Jews realized this, but Jesus definitely did. Not only does the Passover look back to what God did, but it also looks forward to what Jesus was going to do. And did you know, even in the Passover celebration that is still recognized by Jewish people today, there's actually still a forward-looking piece of the Passover that isn't just looking forward to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which we know has already happened. It's actually looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the Passover, they have a cup that they don't drink. A cup of, uh, of the drink there that they leave at the end. And they say, we will enjoy this someday. Why? It, they're looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back. And they enjoy the Passover once again with Jesus. It's a very special picture. It's wonderful how God with His chosen people, the Jews, has put the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, in all kinds of different ways. So that they would hear and that they would know and that they would, as John says, believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, many people have rejected Jesus. The people of this day, many of them rejected Jesus. And Jesus, he had this close group of followers, the, the 12 disciples that you are probably familiar with. But if you know those 12 disciples, those 12 men that were the close followers of Jesus, they weren't all good men, were they? How many of you know the name of the one that betrayed Jesus? What was his name? Judas. Judas Iscariot. Most people to this day still wouldn't name their dog Judas. Now, maybe you did, and I, you know... Maybe you did because your dog betrays you all the time. I don't know. <laughs> but Judas is not generally a name that people even use to this day because of what happened all those years ago. When Judas traded the life of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Can you believe that? That you would trade anybody's life for 30 pieces of silver. Much less the life of God in human flesh. But Judas wasn't the only one that, there that day. In John chapter 13, we'll read about the disciple that Jesus loved, and that was most likely John, the author of this book, of the book of John. Not the whole Bible, but John. And then there's a third disciple mentioned in this passage by the name of Peter. Now, again, some of you may know this, some of you may not. What do we know about Peter right there at the crucifixion? What is Peter known for? Is he known for all the great things he did at the crucifixion? When Jesus died, there's Peter standing firm and standing strong. No. Peter's known for denying Christ three times. 
the man that he had followed. Peter had followed Jesus. Peter had been with Jesus. Peter had sat at the feet of Jesus. He had seen Jesus walk on the water. Peter had walked on the water to Jesus. But when it came down to it at the end, Peter denied him. Not once, not twice, but three times. Why? Because he feared for his own life. And that's the reality of us, right? When a push comes to shove, at the end of the day, what's more important to us than anything else? Is it God? Or is it our own life? And I would say that many of you, and I would include myself in this too, many times it's our life that's more important than anything else. And we'll do anything to preserve it. We'll do anything to make it better. We'll do anything to hang on to it. And yet the Bible says that he that saveth his life will lose it. But he that loseth his life for my sake will keep it and have eternal life. So here in John chapter 13, Jesus is getting ready. He's having the Passover. It says there in verse 1, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Jesus said he loved his own. That included Judas, didn't it? Jesus, Jesus loved Judas. Jesus is God. Jesus knew everything that Judas would do to him. And he still loved him. Jesus loved Peter. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him three times, but he still loved Peter. Jesus here gives us some wonderful examples of how his relationship worked with these different people. And this morning, that's what I want us to focus on a bit, is our relationship with Jesus and how Jesus' relationship with us is encouraging to us, but it's also instructive for us of how our relationships ought to be with one another. Because if you noticed in the passage that Freddie read, just a little bit further down in John chapter 13, he tells us to love one another. And he says there, in verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Relationships, we all have them, don't we? Relationships, maybe the one thing in our life that does more to bring pain and pleasure than anything else that we have, isn't it? We have marriage relationships, we have parent-children relationships, we have employee-employer relationships, we have relationships with our neighbors and our friends and the people around us. We all have relationships. Now some of you, maybe you have a very few relationships, maybe some of you have lots of relationships. Some of you might have your Facebook relationships, which we're not even going to get into that this morning because that's a whole other thing, but maybe you have your 15 Facebook friends, some of you, maybe you have 1,500 Facebook friends. Some of you, everybody up and down your street knows you. Others of you, you never come out the front door except to get in the car and drive somewhere. You don't talk to anybody. Some of you, everybody at the office knows you and knows all your stories. Others of you, you just go in, you work, and you go back home, right? You just do your thing. But all of us have relationships, and Jesus here gives us an example of a wise person in a relationship. Judas gives us an example of an evil person in a relationship. And Peter, well, Peter's like most of us. He gives us an example of a foolish person in a relationship. But let's look at these this morning. John chapter 13. Let's go ahead and start reading in verse 12 together. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? So Jesus is there. They're getting ready for the Passover. What would have been common after traveling a long distance when you went in for a meal is that the lowest servant would come out with a basin of water and a towel and would begin to wash the feet of the people. It's because they wore sandals or they went barefoot. And their feet would get dirty. And so before they would eat, they would get their feet washed, just like we wash our hands. But at their tables, they would often recline at the table. So their feet were up. They weren't down and under the table. And sometimes now people try to recline at the table. And it just, you know, we're like, take your feet off the table, right? We don't want your feet around the table. But their feet would have been somewhere up around the level where the food was. So they would have washed their feet. But think about it. The disciples, they came in. They're the followers of Jesus. 
But who was it that washed the feet? It was Jesus. And that's what it says there in verse 12. After he washed their feet, he took his garments, he was set down, and he said to them, Know ye what I have done to you? Verse 13, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. He says, I am your master, I am your teacher, I am your Lord, I'm in charge. He says, if then your Lord and master have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, or this is true, he says, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. And he says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. None of the other disciples had the humility to get up and to wash each other's feet. So it's Jesus who gets up and he walks and he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Think about that. That means Jesus washed the feet of Judas Iscariot too. The man that he knew would betray him. Jesus is down on his knees washing his feet. That's something, isn't it? Many of us, we have a hard enough time serving people that we like. Jesus is serving somebody that he knew wanted to kill him. Jesus loved these men. And Jesus demonstrated this love by serving them. And he gave them an example. He said, I'm giving you an example. If I'm the master and I'm washing your feet, then how much more should you not be washing one another's feet and serving other people? He said, I've set the example for you. See, Jesus was willing to humble himself. I'm so thankful that Jesus humbled himself and came to this earth so that He could care for your needs and my needs, so that He could die and wash away our sin, because He's perfect and we're not. Jesus loves to take dirty things and clean them up. Jesus will take dirty people and clean them up. He'll take dirty hearts and wash them clean, because He's Jesus, and He is willing to do that for you. And for me, Jesus humbled himself and he took care of these people. He washed their feet. He served them. He gave us an example and he says, if you do these things, you are happy. Here's the reason some of you aren't happy, even though you're in church. Because you know what's right, but you're not doing it. He says you're happy when you do it. Knowing something doesn't necessarily bring happiness and blessedness when it comes to the spiritual life. You could know the whole Bible, but if you're not going to do it, if you're not going to obey it, there's no blessing. So yes, study the Word of God. You better know it. The Bible tells us, study to show yourself approved unto God. You need to know what the Word of God says, but you must obey it. You must do what it says. So some of us, some of you maybe, you've been going through life and you say, well, I've been to church. I read my Bible. I know what it says. Why is there no blessing in my life? Maybe you're not obeying what it says. Do what it says. Because you can know stuff. You can talk about stuff. But where it really becomes real is when you do it. When you do it. We know what it's like. We're back in football season, right? We've got armchair quarterbacks all across the country, don't we? Fat guys sitting on their couch eating chips and saying, That was a terrible pass. What are you doing? 
They're on the couch. <laughs> Those guys are on the field, right? Why do the guys on the field make the big bucks? Because they're the ones on the field, not on the couch. You can know all about it. You can talk a good game. You can know everything that the Bible says, but if you don't do it, there's no blessing. There's no blessing. So Jesus says, happy are ye if ye do them. He helps us as He deals with His men, as He deals with Judas, as He later deals with Peter, as He takes care of these things. Jesus gives us some examples of how to be a wise person in your relationships. I've got a whole bunch of points this morning, but they're going to go really quickly. So if you like to take notes and write them down, I'm going to put them on the screen, but you're going to have to write kind of quickly to keep up. And if you miss one, don't, please don't stop and raise your hand. Just let me know and I'll give them to you afterwards. I'd be more than happy to do that. So here's some ways of wise people. Notice, wise people follow Jesus as the proper role model. Jesus said, I've given you an example, now follow it. If you're going to be a wise person in your relationship with God and your relationship with other people, then follow Jesus as the proper role model. We live in a world today where we don't really have a baseline or an example of what, how people should live, right? People are looking around, they're like, well, I used to think we should like our political leaders. Well, now they're all involved in corruption. Well, I used to think you should follow the, uh, the, the sports figures. Boy, those guys, boy, they're a mess too. And, 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 and we have people that we thought were preachers and Wow, now and pastors, and, and, and there's all these allegations of abuse and other things going on. Who are we supposed to follow? Who are we supposed to look to? Folks, the example is Jesus. He's our example. If you will be wise, you will follow Jesus as your role model. But here's the reality. Most of us, maybe you like to do this, you find somebody else that's kind of like you, or maybe you're a little bit better than them, or at least you think you are, right? And you say, well, I'm doing pretty good. Look at me compared to them. And you find some other person as your role model. Or maybe you have somebody that you hold up who you think is better than you. Maybe they're better than you at business. Maybe they're better at you. They're older than you. They know something more than you. And you say, that's what I want to be like. But then if they ever fall, if they ever mess up, if they ever have a problem, what does that do to you? It discourages you. He's ready to quit. Boy, if they messed up, how am I ever going to make it? If they can't get through, what am I supposed to do? Jesus is our example. If you would be wise, you would let Jesus be your role model. Jesus is perfect. Don't compare yourself to anybody else but Jesus. He's our example. But sometimes you look and say, well, I could never be like that. Don't stray away from following God because you say, I just can't do it. Because all that is is a selfish, prideful way of looking at life saying, well, I'm only going to do things if I can be better than somebody else. You're never going to be better than Jesus. But if you want to be the person that God wants you to be, if you want to be a person that's successful and that is happy and fulfilled and life is going where it should go, let Jesus be your example. Even though you may say, I'm never going to measure up, keep pushing. Keep learning. Keep growing. Keep, as Ephesians tells us, putting off the sin and the wickedness and putting on the righteousness of God. The Scripture says in 1 Peter to be ye holy, God says, as I am holy. You say, I can never be holy. I'm going to mess up. Yes, you will. That's why God forgives. He loves you. And He cares for you. But Jesus is our example. Secondly, wise people let Jesus serve them and then they serve others. Jesus said here, I did this for you, right? I washed your feet. Now you go and serve others. Now I find this to be very true about most people, I would say. Most people are usually good at one or the other. They're either good at serving or they're good at being served. Some of you are good at letting other people serve you, right? Yeah, you can do for me whatever you want. Men, you know I'm looking at you. 
When I looked in the mirror this morning, I'm the same way, right? We're good at letting our wives serve us, letting our kids serve us. Ladies, maybe some of you in that boat. But it seems to be a common theme with some of the men. Some of us, though, don't know how to let someone else serve us. And again, I'm speaking in generalities, but sometimes that's you ladies. You're great at serving everybody else, but you can't slow down long enough to let someone else serve you. One time, I had a situation of something I needed, and I was trying to work really hard to make it happen for myself, and a friend of mine stepped in, and he said, let me take care of that for you. And I said, no, no, I got this, I got this, I got this. And he said to me, and this was very instructive, he said, stop taking away my blessing. Let me serve you. I can fix this a lot easier than you can. I can help you. Let me help you. Don't take away my blessing. And I would just encourage you, if someone else is trying to meet a need in your life, if someone else is trying to encourage you, someone else in the church says, let me pray with you. Don't push them away and say, no, I got this. Let them serve you. Don't take away their blessing. And those of you who love to be served, be faithful about serving others. Jesus, our example, got down out of his seat, went down, wrapped a towel around himself, took a basin of water, and washed feet of dirty old disciples, even the one that would betray him to the cross. Wise people learn how to let others serve them and then go out and continue to serve. How is your serve this morning? He said, you would be happy if you do these things. Are you serving the Lord with your family? Are you serving the Lord at church? We live in a day and age, even people look at church as just another service organization. What can my church do for me? And I'm thankful for a church that does a lot of things for people. We ought to be a church like that. But if we're right with God, our approach to church should not be walking in saying, what are they going to do for me today? How are my needs going to be met today? You know what? I didn't really feel that good today. Nobody served me. Nobody said hi to me. I'm not coming back. That's the wrong attitude when it comes to church. Now, I hope everybody feels like somebody served them. I hope everybody feels like somebody encouraged them and somebody loved them and somebody encouraged them. But the reality is we're human beings too. And we've got to follow Christ as our example. Learn how to be served and then go and serve others. Number three, wise people learn from their teacher before they teach anyone else. The Bible talks about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is a student who then can become a teacher. God has told us to learn the truth and then take that truth and teach that to other people who can then be faithful and go on and teach others as well, right? If you're just a student and you never become the teacher, you're not truly a wise person. When God allows something into your life, ask yourself this question. What is God trying to teach me? What can I learn? And when you've learned something, then say, who else can I teach this to? Who else is going through something that I can be an encouragement to? If you're dealing with something very difficult right now, chances are God is teaching you something and you can then take what you're learning and go teach it to somebody else. There's going to be somebody else in the church there's going to be somebody else in your community. There's going to be somebody else in your family that you can sit down with and say, let me tell you how God encouraged me. Let me help you. Wise people learn from their teacher before they teach anyone else. Number four, wise people do not allow evil people to change their character, right? Jesus is a wonderful example of this. He's loving even to people that didn't love him. Jesus cares and serves People that are going to, or a person in particular, that is going to betray him. Don't let evil people alter or change your character. But we do this, right? We have an excuse. Well, you don't know what they did to me. That's why I'm responding this way. Right? I'm going to respond back in kind. They said something mean to me. I'm going to say it right back wait a minute, now you're no better than they are. 
You've just gone down on their level, haven't you? Is that the example of what Jesus set for us? No, it's not. Well, they did this to me, so I'm justified in doing this back to them. No, you're not. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith, not you, saith the Lord. That's God's job. Stop trying to do God's job because you're not very good at it. <laughs> Let God do His job. He's really good at it. Wise people don't allow evil people to change their character. You see, the reason we allow it to change our character is because sometimes our character really isn't based in Christ. It's not based in following Him. It's just, hey, we figured out something that works for us. And then someone challenges us and we lose it all, don't we? But see, Jesus was the perfect example of this. They whipped Him and beat Him. They tore His beard out. They put Him on the cross. But did that change who He was? His, one of his closest men betrayed him. Jesus knew it was going to happen. But did that change who he was? No. Because nobody can take away what you have on the inside if it's based on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Nobody can take that away unless you let them. Unless you give it away. Wise people don't allow evil people to change their character. Next, wise people know when to release people. Jesus does this with Judas. In a moment, we'll see this. We'll read the passage where Jesus sends Judas out. He knows Judas is going to go do wrong. He knows Judas is going to go betray him. And Jesus says, go. Go do what you're going to do. That's really hard, isn't it? When you see somebody going off the wrong way and you know if they keep going this way, it's going to be really bad. And it's especially hard if you know it's going to be bad for you if they go off that way. It's hard as a parent when you see your children doing things that are wrong. You say, oh, it's going to hurt you if you keep going down this path. If you stay in this relationship. If you keep hanging out with those friends. If you keep going to that place where you shouldn't go, this is going to hurt you, and I know it's going to hurt me. But there comes a point sometimes, and Jesus did this. He didn't stop loving Judas, did he? But he knew he was going to go, and he let him go. Jesus didn't fight with Judas. And sometimes the people you're fighting with, it's because you're trying to hold on to them and fix their problems. Let God fix their problems. But God only fixes problems of people that humble themselves before the Lord. Sometimes there comes a point in life where you don't stop loving somebody, but you have to let them go. You can't fight them and punish them into where they should be sometimes. They have to choose. I think this is not a thing we rush into. It's not something we do quickly. It's something that we would take a long time to do. When my three-year-old wants to run away and do wrong, I don't say, well, son, go ahead. I know it's going to be bad, but you can, you know, I can't do anything about it. No, you can do something about it. But you better do something about it when they're three. Because someday when they're 23, then you can't do anything about it. But some parents really try at that point, don't they? And it's too late. You don't stop loving them. I don't mean it's too late. They can never come back to God. But as a parent, your authority over them is not the same anymore when they're 23 as when they were 3. You've got to say, you know what? It's between you and God. I'm going to love you. I'm going to keep encouraging you. But don't start nagging them and beating on them and always causing problems. You're not helping them. Love them. Pray for them. Encourage them. But sometimes a wise person has to know when to release somebody. And Jesus did that with Judas. Wise people learn to think for the long term, don't they? Judas, how did he think? Short term. I'm going to exchange my relationship with Jesus 
all this time that we've had together, I'm going to exchange my eternal home in heaven for 30 pieces of silver. Is that long-term thinking or short-term thinking? Short-term, right? Any investor would tell you, you always need to think for the long-term, right? Because in the short-term, emotions get in the way. Things are up and down really in the early times, but over time, you have a lot more clarity, don't you? As things move forward. Wise people need to learn to think long-term. How was Jesus thinking? Was he thinking short-term or long-term? Was Jesus working hard to save his own life? Or was Jesus working hard to save the lives of every person throughout history? That's long-term thinking, right? Wise people need to learn to think long-term. We allow emotions, we allow the problems, we allow the difficulties of the moment, cloud our ability to make decisions. Think for the long-term. As a Christian... We should be in it for the long term, right? Because God has saved you and given you eternal life. In your relationships, don't just make decisions based on what's happening here in the moment. Think about the long-term eternal ramifications of your decision. And on wise people, I've got one more point. Wise people live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't just want you to admire his life from a distance. He wants you to share in it. He wants you to experience life like he had. Jesus lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he wants you to do it as well. But for the grace of God, we'd all be like Judas, wouldn't we? But Jesus lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. We must as well. You say, how do I do that? Well, the Holy Spirit indwells us at the moment of salvation. But to be truly filled by and controlled by the Holy Spirit, that only comes through a close personal relationship with God. Happens with time in His Word, time in prayer, and then in obedient living so that you can be also controlled by the Spirit. Some of you right now, in your relationships, when things get bad, you immediately fly off the handle, you get upset, maybe you run and pout and cry to yourself. You cut people off, whatever. You're not very good at these relationships. You're not a wise person. A wise person must learn to live in the control and the power of the Holy Spirit. Wise people, wise living. Jesus then, it says in verse 21, when he had thus said he was troubled in spirit. Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Evil should trouble us. If you look at this world around that we live in today and the evil in this world doesn't trouble you, you should be troubled by that. <laughs> that should concern you. We live in an evil world. It should trouble us. And Jesus testified and he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Jesus is now going to instruct us and Judas, his life in a negative way is going to instruct us of how evil people handle their relationships. There is evil in the world. Everybody isn't just, well, they were a nice person. They just made some bad decisions. There are evil people in this world. People that are out to get you, that are out to hurt you. Judas had every chance to do what was right. And it's interesting in verse 22, after Jesus says, one of you will betray me, then the disciples looked one on the other, doubting of whom he spake. They looked around, they're like, well, who could it be? Who, who would betray Jesus? This tells you something about Judas. Nobody suspected him. On the outward, he looked good. We know that he was the guy that kept the money. You don't give the money to the guy that you don't trust. The other disciples respected Judas. That's a word of warning for you this morning, though. As you live your life, you better make sure that you're right with God. Because it could be the nicest, best-looking person in here could be an evil person on the inside if they're not submitted to God. Judas then 
is the one, but they still don't know it. It says, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples. So John is leaning right here on his shoulder, very close to him. It says, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him. He, 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 he tried to get John's attention, and he said that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith to him, Lord, who is it? Peter's like, hey, John, you're good friends with Jesus. Why don't you ask him? And so John looks at Jesus and says, who is it? And Jesus, it says, he it is to whom I shall give a sop. That's just some bread dipped in the juice there that they were drinking. He said, I give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. He's releasing him, right? Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. So even after Jesus tells John, Hey, it's going to be the one that I give the sop to, then Jesus does that. He gives the bread to Judas, and Judas leaves, and they still don't know who it is that's going to betray him. Even after Jesus told I'm telling you, they trusted Judas. They were caught off guard. They were surprised by the evil of Judas. I don't believe we can truly understand evil in this world if we don't understand what the Bible says about it. Because we like to believe the best about people. Most, most people do, I think. But the Bible is very clear. In the book of Ephesians, it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then the Bible continues on and tells us to take and put on the whole armor of God. Why do we have to do that? Why is what we're learning in church so important? It's because the world is evil. And we need to know the truth. So Jesus is saying, there's evil. Judas is evil. He's telling him about him. Let me give you some points here quickly about this. Effects of evil people. Evil people are dangerous and they are distressing. It says here that Jesus was distressed. He was troubled in his spirit. When there's evil going on, it should distress you. It should bother you if you're living for the Lord. Evil people, secondly, intentionally cause harm. I'm warning you this morning, be careful, watch out for those that would do evil. They intentionally cause harm. Judas didn't do this by accident. He didn't do this accidentally, did he? He didn't accidentally betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. No, he planned to do it. This was premeditated. This is evil. This is evil. Number three, evil people betray people that are in, rela in a relationship with them. You say, how could Judas ever do this? He had a relationship with Jesus. He had a relationship with the other disciples for over three years. He still did it. There could be somebody in your life, some evil person that you love, that you have a relationship with, and they will trade it all for something else that's very unimportant. They might trade it all for money. They might rob you. They might take something from you. They might hurt you. They might bother you in some way because they are evil. Evil people betray people in a relationship with them. Another thing we learn from Judas in this relationship with Jesus is that evil people hide their true selves until they walk away from Jesus completely. Notice what happens in the story. All this time, Judas has been with Jesus. Nobody has noticed that he was going to do anything wrong or that he was doing anything wrong until Jesus gives him the sovereign. It says, and Satan went into him and he went his way. He went out in the night and he immediately went. What did he do? He went and betrayed Jesus. Then he felt horribly guilty about it. He hanged himself. He died. And today Judas is burning in hell. You say, that sounds really hard. and That sounds really bad. Judas was evil. 
Judas had every opportunity to do right. Jesus loved Judas. But there is a punishment for evil. Evil does not get to go on unpunished. There will be a day of reckoning for the evil. Again, I I don't like to think about that. But that's the reality of how God deals with this world. It's not a comfortable reality maybe for you this morning, but it is the truth. We see in Judas's case here, kind of following on this, evil people do not always want to change. They don't want to change. They like their evil. Jesus would have helped him if he wanted to change. But he didn't want to change. Evil people are known to fake faith. There are people that are really good at faking it. But inside, they're evil. They're wicked. Now, aren't you thankful you don't have to go around and judge everybody and say, yep, wicked, not wicked, <laughs> wicked, not wicked. That's not, again, that's not your job. That's God's job. But it's important if you're going to have relationships to understand that this is a reality, okay? And to be careful and to make sure you're not the evil person that you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin. Because somebody, one of you might be sitting here this morning going, he's kind of talking about me. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if this is you this morning, I'm not trying to beat you up, but I'm trying to tell you, you are living contrary to God. And if you don't turn to Him, there is no forgiveness for you. But if you'll turn your life to him, he'll forgive everything you've ever done. I don't care how bad it is. Because Jesus loves you. And Jesus died in your place. So you don't have to. And then finally, evil people live by the power of satanic and demonic forces. This is what's going on. Judas goes, he makes a decision to do wrong. And Satan then enters him and helps him do wrong. Don't get the idea that, well, Judas had no choice. This is just the devil made him do it. Some people like to live like that. Well, I couldn't help it. Devil made me do it. I don't know what came over me. No, you made a choice. But when you choose to do wrong, when you choose to continue to do wrong, the devil may just continue to help you do wrong. Evil people live by the power of satanic and demonic forces. You say, this is pretty dark. I'm going to go home discouraged today thinking about all this evil. Well, Jesus isn't done. Because after Jesus deals with this passage of betrayal, He then changes the subject. In verse 31, He changes the subject to something positive. Right? Jesus knows His death is about to come. He's about to go to the cross. It's about to be all over for Him. What's He going to do? Is how we might think. But Jesus knew exactly what He was going to do. Jesus knew where he was headed. Jesus knew what was going on. And it says here in verse 31, Therefore, when he was gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. (laughs) Judas leaves and he says, God will be glorified. God will be glorified. God will be glorified. He's helping us refocus here. Because I don't know about you, but when I see all the evil around in this world, I tend to get discouraged. When I see somebody else that treats me wrong or takes advantage of somebody else, that just hurts, doesn't it? You probably see this in your neighborhood, right? Someone gets broken into. Someone gets something stolen. You're like, what is wrong with people? They're evil. But what are we going to do about it? We're just discouraged. It's just worse. Crime is going up. People are struggling. It is hard. Jesus helps us refocus. He says, God will be glorified. God will be glorified. God has a purpose. God always wins. God is doing something. God is at work. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't turn your back on Him. 
Keep following the Lord. Yes, there's evil in this world, but God will be victorious over all evil. So what happens here? Well, Jesus makes this great statement about God being glorified. He says in verse 33, Yet little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say unto you, Jesus is saying, in just a little bit of time, I'm going to be taken back up to heaven. That's what he's talking about. But then he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Verse 34, he says, That ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Jesus is saying, yes, there's evil in the world. Yes, there's difficulty. Yes, there's problems. But love, love, love. Jesus said, I loved you. Love wins. It does. Jesus wins. He says, love one another. Jesus makes this great statement about love. He says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have loved one to another. People ought to know that we follow Jesus because we love one another. If people come to our church and they don't know that we love one another, how are they ever going to know to follow Jesus? If people could come into this building and not feel loved, we have missed one of the great purposes of gathering together. We're missing it as a church if we're not loving one another. He says, by this shall all men know that you have love, that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. And then, here we go, the last one. Peter. Peter. Foolish. Peter. Jesus is talking about the great things that he's going to do and how God is going to work. It's all about God. And then Peter, the foolish one, he, he makes it about himself. That's what foolish people do, don't they? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Jesus had just answered that already. But Peter, he can't let it go. Here he comes again, verse 37. Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus is building up. Jesus knows he's about to be crucified. He's about to die for Peter's sin. And Peter says, no, Jesus, I'll die for you. He's foolish. Now, he may have had a good heart, right? But he's foolish in his statement. Peter, who are you? Stop talking about yourself. You're not going to die for anybody. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Peter, you're not going to die for me. You're going to deny me. Let me give you, in closing this morning, seven facts about foolish people, okay? And we'll wrap this up. Foolish people. Foolish people don't act on what they learn. You're foolish this morning if you know truth and you're not obeying it. Peter knew the truth but he wasn't acting on it. And the reality is this morning, there may be a lot of you this morning that are foolish. You know what's right, but you're not doing it. Now, if you don't know, we want to help teach you. But if you know it and you're not doing it, you're foolish. Peter knew the truth, but he wasn't acting upon it. Foolish people are not dumb. That's an important thing to realize. They're not dumb. They're disobedient. It's foolishness to have truth and not, not obey it. It doesn't make you dumb. There's some very smart, foolish people. They're just disobedient. Secondly, foolish people can be emotionally impetuous. doesn't mean they... It's bad to have emotions. What it means is, is to always act on your emotions. Your life needs more than just a sail. Just passion. It needs a rudder, doesn't it? Something to keep you in a straight line. Keep you where you need to go. Peter had this passion, but he didn't have any idea really where he was going, and he ended up in a really bad place. 
denying Jesus three times. Just after this, later, Peter is with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're praying, or Jesus is praying, and Peter falls asleep with the other disciples. Here come the Roman soldiers to, to arrest Jesus, and the high priest servant is there, and oh, Peter, he's impetuous, he's emotional. He whips out his sword and chops the guy's ear off. Listen, if there's ears flying around, there's probably foolishness, okay? Some of us, boy, we're ready for a fight. We're ready to do something. We get all worked up and upset about things. It's foolishness when we're just living according to emotions and not based in truth. Boy, Peter, he talked big, but he was foolish. Foolish people make promises, but they don't make plans. You ever made, met somebody like that? Oh, they promise you, oh, we're going to do this, we got this, but they have no plan of how they're going to do it. All the promises in the world don't mean anything if you have no plan of how you're going to get there. Peter says, Lord, I'm going to the death for you. He had a great promise, didn't he? But then reality hit. Jesus is arrested. Peter follows along from a distance and he comes up where the trial is taking place. Jesus is standing outside warming himself by the fire and a little girl looks at him and says, Hey, your accent is kind of like his accent. You guys must be from the same... Wait a minute. You're one of his followers, aren't you? What does Peter do? He starts cussing. Blankety blank. No, I'm not. See, look, I can curse. Blank, right? He's just... He's trying to do whatever he can to distance himself from Jesus. Peter doesn't deny Jesus one time, just two times. He does it three times. He made a promise, but he had no plan of how he was going to keep that promise. And when it comes to following God, I think there are many people that make promises to God, but have no plan to ever keep that promise. There are people that will be baptized and say, I'm going to be a follower of God. But they have no plan to keep that promise. Everybody people say, I want to follow God. I want to commit my life to Him. But then they don't plan to be at church the next week. No. i got more important things to do. I gave God my life last week. Why do I have to serve Him this week? Foolishness. Foolishness. Don't make promises unless you have a plan to keep that promise. Foolish people make promises, but they don't make plans. Number four, foolish people cause pain unintentionally. Was Peter trying to cause pain for Jesus when he did this? No. Was Judas trying to cause pain? Yes. Evil people cause pain intentionally. Foolish people cause pain unintentionally. And some of you have been hurt by foolish people. Someone, they came across nice, they meant well, but it hurt. It's like if you meet somebody and they're going through some really difficult physical problem. Like they're thinking about issues of life and death, and you look at them and say, well, let me tell you about this one time I sprained my ankle. Right? You're like, who are you? Why are you trying to tell me about your spraining of your ankle? I, I'm thinking about dying right now. That's foolish, right? We, we just, we're not sure what to say. We struggle with things like that. All of us deal with that stuff. All of us can be like Peter at times. But when you're foolish, you're causing pain. It may be unintentional, but you're causing pain in others. Foolish people fail when you need them most. At the end of the day, who was there with Jesus? It wasn't Peter. He was outside denying him. Foolish people continually shift the focus to themselves. I'm guilty of that sometimes. It feels good when people are focused on your problem. People are focused on what you're doing. But that's foolish. That's what Peter did here. Jesus is trying to, and He's telling the people about God and His glory and about what's going to happen. And, and Peter 
turns the spotlight off of the Lord where it needs to be, puts it on himself. And then finally this morning, you've listened well. You say, where's the hope? Well, there is some. What's the good news? Is there any hope? Well, think about this. Between Judas and Peter, did they both walk away from Jesus? They did, right? Judas went away to go betray Jesus. Peter went away and denied Jesus. But Peter came back. There's hope. If you're evil this morning, there's hope for you too. But you must humble yourself before the Lord. If you're dealing with foolishness in your heart this morning, or other people around you are foolish, there's hope for them too. Peter came back to the Lord. There's this really touching time that Jesus has with Peter after Jesus rose from the dead. Because whenever there's been a break in a relationship, there's got to be some time to restore it, doesn't there? And Jesus comes to Peter and he's talking with Peter and he says, Simon Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus looks at him again, Simon Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, of course I love you. And Jesus, I think because... Peter denied him three times. He asks him a third time, Simon Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. And there's this restoration in their relationship. Peter then goes on to preach the great message on the day of Pentecost, where several thousand people trust Christ. Peter goes on and serves God for the rest of his life. And the Bi this isn't recorded for us in the Bible, but in, his, in one of the history books where it's talking about this time period, it, it says that Peter, at the end of his life, he was being persecuted for following Jesus, and some people came to him, and they took him to go crucify him, to crucify Peter. They wanted to get Peter to deny Jesus again. They thought, well, he denied him earlier. Maybe he'll do it again. This time they said, well, you, if you won't deny Jesus, we're going to crucify you just like Jesus. And at least according to the history book, Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Crucify me upside down. Wow. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope for your relationships with people. That hope is Jesus. There's hope for your relationship with the Lord. The hope is Jesus. But how is your relationship with Him this morning? Are you this morning an evil person like Judas? You're fighting against Jesus? If you are, turn to Him. Maybe you're like Peter. You're just focused on yourself. Life's all about you. God wants us to be faithful. Be faithful to follow Him and do what He says. What great instruction for us this morning in the area of relationships, wise relationships, evil relationships, foolish relationships. I hope you'll take these things and think about it this week. What are my relationships like with the people around me? Am I serving others? Am I loving others? Am I serving God? Do I love Him, really? I know what's right, but am I doing it? Let's follow the Lord this week. Let's be faithful. Let's serve Him. I hope that this week you'll be thinking of people say, I need to tell somebody else about Jesus. Because they need to hear and know what I know. They need to trust what I trust. They need to have the faith that I have. Because Jesus can help them too just like he helped me. Let's love others like we should. Let's love one another like we should. Let's pray for one another. Encourage one another. Call somebody on the phone. Let them know you're thinking about them. Send them a text. Send them an email. Go to coffee. Go to lunch. Those are important things to have a relationship that pleases God and where we help one another. Father, help us this morning to follow you, to obey you, to be faithful Lord, there's so much in this passage and we covered bit off a huge amount this morning. 
But Lord, I, I hope there's just one point out of all these that might have helped somebody. If that's all there was, it's worth it. But Lord, we've looked this morning briefly at an entire chapter of your word. Work in our hearts. Help us to follow you. Help us to be obedient. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that's in sin, that is away from you, that is evil, that is not following you, that has never trusted you, I pray that this morning they would come back to you. If they've never come to you, I pray that they'd ask you to forgive them and save them of their sin. If they've come to you but they're just away and they're being foolish and living their own way, making it about themselves, help them to confess that this morning. Help us to go from here as people renewed and encouraged and revived to be faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.